Okay. He says, uh, the book says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have had experience with the suffering of our members who have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction, gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. And I like that he treated drug addicts too, because part of the thing that happens if you come in and everyone's like, oh, our sobriety rates have dropped, what happened? And then you're like, well, I don't know, everybody's doing a lot of drugs. No, people were doing a lot of drugs back then. And they had a lot of other issues. And it's funny because like, I know it's like, it seems like the world is kind of ending right now, but yeah, like they were in the middle of the worst unemployment this country has ever seen. I don't know how bad it is compared to today, but I feel like it was worse. And it didn't go away overnight. I mean, it lasted for 10 years and then they walked right into a, a world war where millions and millions and millions of people died. So drugs were a problem. Alcohol was the same. Like it, nothing really has changed from then to today about what we're dealing with. Um, to whom it may concern, so this is Dr. Silkworth writing, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. This is uh, Bill Wilson that they're talking about. And, um, I don't know how many doctors you guys have seen in your life. I have seen a lot of doctors and I really have issues. This is like um, an outside issue, but like doctors have a really hard time saying, I don't know, or I can't help you. And they will, they will tell you all kinds of things like your problems neurological. That's my favorite. If any of you have like an autoimmune issue, you've probably heard that and it's the best. And you're like, seriously, I hate you. For a doctor to say it's hopeless is a big deal. And it takes a lot of humility to say that. And, and, it, and it's important to note that an alcoholic who's hopeless is who this book is for. It is not for the alcoholic that can go to a couple of meetings and just decide not to drink. So if you go to meetings and you stop drinking, you don't need to do what's in this book. Um, in the course of his third treatment, so Bill went to rehab more than once, so if you're feeling bad about relapsing, you're in good company, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, so he started doing step 12 at once. This is while he was in treatment. Impressing upon them that they must do likewise was still others. That's all step 12. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. So helping others through step 12, that's working one-on-one -on -one with another alcoholic and carrying the message is the basis of the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the basis of the fellowship of Al-Anon. Um, this man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. And for Silkworth to get behind this, it, it was hard for him because he couldn't really get behind the whole, uh, the whole God part because there's not a way to scientifically prove God.
but he could scientifically prove that these people no longer were drinking and that emotionally and mentally they were in a different place. Um, so those things were facts to him and that's what convinced him, right? Uh, I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in this group. They may mark an epoch in the annals of alcoholism. These men may have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely on absolutely anything they say about themselves. Which, like, can you imagine a doctor saying that about a bunch of alcoholics? That's pretty good, right? Um, very truly yours, William Silkworth's MD. So he didn't sign this at first because this was like so controversial. Um, uh, but he did in the second edition. Uh, so then the, the, doc, the alcoholics interlude and they write in this, the physician who at our request gave, it, gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge on his views in another statement, which follows. So I know when we read the doctor's opinion, we often go right to the part about the allergy, but this next sentence is like, golden. In his statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe. So uh, I've never heard this in AA, but some people say that there's no must in AA, but the word must is in the big book 81 times. Um, that, that we have to believe this. So for you to get through the AA recovery program in this book, you have to believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as your mind. It did not, I love this part. This is my favorite, right? So like people think like, okay, well, it's, it's mental and it's behavioral. Like you need to just change your mind or get therapy or like, um, you know, or, or correct the behavior. But this is saying there's a physical component as well. And, and it, it was something that maybe you feel or you sense. And then when somebody explains it to you, you're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Um, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, which like, yeah, maybe I was, I totally was, that we were in full flight from reality, like checked totally in full flight from reality, that we were... Outright mental defectives, I mean, sure, yeah, I'm an outright mental defective. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. I am legit crazy, but that is not why I cannot stop drinking. It has nothing to do with it, and I always thought it did. Because people will tell you that. They will tell you that you are self-medicating. Which is a bunch of, like, and then I'll tell myself that, and it's a bunch of horseshit. Sorry, it's a bunch of nonsense. I've been told I need to swear less. Like, no! I self-medicate with, like, chocolate sometimes. Not not alcohol, and chocolate actually legit makes you feel better. Like it's an antidepressant. Alcohol is not. Alcohol makes you feel worse. So, no, I have a body that makes me drink too much once I start drinking. 
um, it's not because I'm in an uncomfortable situation. It's not because I've had a bad day. It's not because we got in a fight. It's not because I lost my job. It's because once I start drinking, I cannot stop because I have a body that ensures I can never safely drink alcohol in any form at all. Um, in our belief, any picture of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical factor, is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. Okay, this is where they kind of lost me because I was like, can you guys all hear me all right? Okay. They lost me because I was like, I have like real allergies and this isn't like my real allergies. Um, because like I just walked the dog and it made my, my, my face hurt because it made my sinuses hurt, right? Um, because there's grass pollen and tree pollen. And alcohol only makes my face hurt if I fall down and hit my face, right? Which, which did happen um, or would give me a headache. But like as I drank it, I didn't feel like that. Uh, it says, as laymen, our opinion to its soundness, though, may of course mean little. So the mechanism of it or why we use this term or whatever doesn't matter. It matters not at all. But as ex-problem drinkers, which by the way, can we stop and talk about being an ex-problem drinker? Because it's pretty sweet. It's so cool. Like I'm not a problem drinker. Unless you're talking about Diet Coke. I love Diet Coke. I don't drink Diet Coke anymore, but um, I'm sure I'll relapse at some point. So it says it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Oh my God, like how many times did I terrorize some poor man at a gas station picking up more booze after I was already wasted and then go home and either not remember drinking it or not touch it because I passed out as soon as I sat down. And I woke up and I'm like, great. All this booze is left for me in the morning. Like, that's awesome. But like, why did I think I needed why did I get so drunk, I threw up, and then my immediate reaction is like, awesome, room for more booze. How many times did I wanna get drunk, but I didn't just get drunk. I got so drunk, I was drunk until 12 o'clock the next day. How many times did I get, this was, this was the one that got me though. It was, uh, um, this is what really, like as I got honest with myself, this was the one that really got me. It was, uh, how many times did I get so drunk, I went to the bathroom, sat down to pee, stood up, lost my balance, and took down the shower curtain? I see a lot of heads nodding. Okay, so think about that moment, and then think about what you did after. And if you were smart, you didn't try to put it back up. I always tried to put it back up. But then once I was done trying, I went and drank more. Like if my goal is to get drunk, I got drunk and then I kept drinking. And then like if, anyway, so there's that, right? Though we, oh, here's the cool one. If, though we work our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane. So altruistic means selfless. So that's our solution, right? It's altruistic and it's spiritual. Um, we face, it's not about like, I don't, my solution is not sitting around in a group talking about myself, right? It's not therapy. I need therapy. 
because I have a real hard time being a grown-up. And you might also have that issue too. Like I need therapy to be a grown-up, but I don't need a therapy to be sober. I need God and I need to be useful to other people, particularly alcoholics. We favor hospital for the alcoholic who is very jittery and befogged. They're not talking about 30 days here. They're talking about like, it takes three days to, to detox an alcoholic. If you're real bad off, maybe a little longer, but it does not take long to detox an alcoholic. More often than not, it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached as he then has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Because um, it takes three days to sober up, really. It takes three days for the alcohol to clear it from your system. As long as the alcohol is still in your system, um, you're still going to have the allergy. Um, I am reading for the doctor's opinion, page XXVII right now. Uh, the doctor writes, um, the subject in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcohol addiction. I say this after many years' experience um, as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There, there was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. Like, if somebody said that to something about something I wrote, it would just go straight to my head. Um, okay. So we doctors, okay, this is a really cool paragraph. So hold on, we're gonna go through this twice. It says, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Okay, so we're gonna replace some words with, so every time they talk about us or we or are, um, we're gonna talk about we doctors, and every time they say like powers of good or moral psychology, um, we're gonna talk about God. Cool? Okay, so we doctors have realized that for a long time that some form of God was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but the application of God presented difficulties between us doctors' conception. What with us doctors' ultra-modern standards, us doctors' scientific approach to everything, we doctors are perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers of God that lie outside of our doctors' science synthetic knowledge. Does that make sense now, what he's saying? Um, he can't say that outright because he's, you know, a doctor. Um, many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital, and while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. So I love practical because the steps are, are practical, right? And I always talk about, like, um, what's something that's practical? So I have on, no, this isn't practical. I got these, like, jockey bras from Amazon that have no underwires and they're so comfy I can sleep in them but they like look they like it's like I'm wearing a bra but I'm not wearing a bra because they're so soft they're very practical 
I can wear them under anything all day, every day. Like they're so practical. Something that's practical is like everyday life. You can use it all the time. And the steps are a practical program of action. So he's talking about practical application, like every day, useful, all the time. Um, at once. He did the steps at once. He didn't wait. He did them at once. He did them in days. Um, later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here. And with some misgiving, we consented. I'm sure the doctors were like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Um, it's a little, I don't know about where, some of you guys probably live in other cities, but here, um, when I've approached hospitals and places about carrying the message there, they're always real open to it um, and very receptive. I think some other cities it might be a little different, but here it's all, they're always usually really welcoming and like, uh, and, and open, like, and it's really nice. Um, but these guys are a little like, I'm not so sure. Um, so the cases we have followed through have been the most interesting. In fact, the, many of them are amazing. It says the unselfishness of these men and we have come to know them. So the whole program's about giving back and being unselfish. Um, the entire absence of profit motive. And their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and warily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power, so that would be the spiritual solution, which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. Um, God, let me see where we are. Uh, Friar, do you want me to go through this page and then turn it over? There's a couple, I think I can do it in like a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's fine. Go through that and then I'll um, start when you're done with that. Okay. I mean, you can recap in your own words and that might be good too. Okay. Okay. So, um, because you would explain it different and maybe other people would get something out of that too. Um, okay, so he says, of course an alcoholic ought to be free from his physical craving for liquor. So when we talk about alcohol being in your body and wanting to drink more, we only use the word craving for that. So he's talking about a physical, not a mental issue. And if you're stone cold sober and you want to drink, we always use the word obsession or insanity. And, it, and it's a, a word thing, like it sounds unimportant, but it's super important. Because the chemical craving, the physical craving is a physical issue. The obsession is mental. And you can only have a physical craving when you have alcohol in your body. It takes three days for the alcohol to leave your body. Once it's gone, you can no longer have a craving for alcohol. It is impossible, but you can obsess. But if you're an alcoholic like I am, you will obsess all day, every day. Um, it requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. For the love of God, don't try to sober up in your closet. 
please go to a hospital. Call 911. They will take you to the ER. I don't care. Like, this is a deadly thing if you try to sober up on your own. Like, it will kill you. And I don't care what your reasons are for not doing it. It's not worth it. Um, okay, so the doctor says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is the manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Okay, so he says, we believe. So he's talking about we, like the royal we. So suggested a few years ago. So he wasn't the first doctor to come up with this thing. Somebody else had put it forward a while before. That the action of alcohol, so the, the alcoholics put it in their body on these chronic alcoholics. So he's, he's creating, um, he's saying these chronic hopeless alcoholics are different than like what we often refer to as like a disco drunk or a hard drinker. They might look like an alcoholic, but they're not an alcoholic. They can quit and they may drink a lot, but they don't experience this. Um, so the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics, chronic alcoholics put the alcohol in their system, is a manifestation of an allergy. Okay, cool. I walk outside, the stupid trees and the stupid grass cause a reaction in my sinuses. It just hurts. And, it, and it's unusual. It doesn't seem unusual because so many people have it, but not everybody has it. It's like a, my body just reacts to it in a way it's not supposed to. There's nothing, like the, the pollen isn't invading my body. It's not attacking me, but my body reacts to it like it, it is. And the alcohol isn't something my body should be reacting to like it does. The way it reacts is, first of all, unusual because nobody else experiences this. And you will know that. If you've been drinking for a while and you just sobered up, you may not know this yet, but other people don't drink like me. And I didn't know that. And I'm like, I'm at this place where it's like watching like Joe Tiger or whatever. Like it's another species. Like those non-alcoholics is like, I can just watch them drink. It's fascinating. It's like watching another species on Nat Geo. I, I can't get enough of it because it's so weird. Even the hard drinkers are weird. It's like, I just don't, now that I'm sober enough to notice, they're just different. So I had this allergy, they don't. I put the alcohol in, I have this phenomenon of craving, that the phenomenon of craving, a phenomenon is like something you can't explain. A reaction is a reaction. I react in this craving for more is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So non-alcoholics never experience this. My brothers who can really drink with the best of them do the weirdest shit. They can drink all day and never get drunk. Seen it happen. They can get drunk and stop drinking at 10.30 at night and stay up and hang out and have a great time until 2 a.m and not have another drink because they realize they got too drunk and they need to sober up. And these aren't teetotalers. One of them owns a fucking brewery. 
sorry, swearing. It's like, I can't do those things. I can't have a beer with lunch. They can do it all day. They go around, because one of them owns a brewery, they go around tastings every time we travel somewhere together. And they'll go to different breweries and just like taste different beers. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're doing. Uh, never happens to them. It says these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. So um, I cannot cook with alcohol. I, uh, I can't take Xanax. I can't take any kind of benzos. I will interrogate doctors about medications. I've accidentally put alcohol in my system and it messes me up. I don't know why, but it, it just does. It's like I suddenly start seeing alcohol and I want to drink it. And, um, and it's fucked up. Like this whole allergy thing, they're not messing around. It's a real thing. And I, like I've interrogated, I had surgery. I had to interrogate the anesthesiologist of like, don't give me any benzos. And like, I'm sure she would have appreciated not having that conversation. Um, doctors don't seem to get it. So it's just like, read labels, all of those things, any form at all. It does not matter. Um, and it says, once having formed the habit, down they cannot break it. Once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, the problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Which is like, no shit. That's what happens when you drink like this. When you have this problem of being unable to control your drinking, you lose your self-confidence, your reliance upon things human, your problems will pile up on you and they will become astonishingly difficult to solve, mostly because you can't stop drinking. And I'm gonna stop there, thanks Briar, a couple of minutes over what I intended to, but I'm sure you got it from here. Hey ladies, can y'all all hear me? All right, cool. Um, so I'm Briar recovered alcoholic, um, and I'm gonna pick up here, um, alright, so, frothy emotional peel seldom suffices, okay, so, you know, like, bubbly phrases and all those types of things, like, that's, you know, never, never gonna work, never has worked, it's never gonna work, um, this, the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. So there's another must. Um, so like, you know, it has to have contained something bigger than just, for instance, like frothy emotional appeal. Um, in nearly all cases, their ideals, which are in our head, right? Um, must be grounded and power greater than themselves. Hey, shh, sorry. Um, be quiet. Um, if they are to recreate their lives, um, so right there, it's telling me like, this is not in self, you know, this is not of myself. Um, like my ideals must be grounded in a power greater than myself. Um, if, if anything's going to change, um, if my life is going to become different, um, if any feel that as psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing line. 
see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, let the solving of these problems be a part of their daily work. And even of their sleeping moments and the most cynical will not wonder what we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience um, that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up, now growing up among them. Um, so there's like, these doctors are saying that like, we haven't been able to find anything like this is, this has been the one thing. So like this selfless movement, um, that these, these alcoholics have created and come up with, like has worked for them. And we haven't been able to find anything, um, as far as, you know, the scientific doctoral approach goes, um, so now let's get into the real nitty gritty of this stuff. Um, so men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Um, you know, I, I love the effect produced by alcohol um, because it, it took me, you know, from a place where I was and, and jolted me into a to a different basically dimension, if you will. It made me feel differently. Um, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, um, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. So, you know, like the truth for me after a time was like, after I crossed a certain point, right, was that the truth for me was always going to be that I was going to continue once, once that mental obsession set in and I took a drink that I was going to continue to drink until I was stopped. Right. And so this became my truth over and over again. And the false was that it doesn't matter or it's going to be different this time or whatever excuse like that we've had in our heads. Right. Because our minds are so sick that we believe these false things instead of like actually seeing the truth. Right. Um, and so after a time, we can't differentiate the truth from the false. Um, to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. So this was very normal for me. This is all I knew after a time. This was my life. And so anything that you told me, told me differently, like did not seem right to me, did not seem normal to me. This was my normal. Um, and I think that's why it's so difficult for non-alcoholics and non-addicts to like not understand right because this isn't normal to them but it is to us um they're restless irritable and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks so right like Kat talked about, like that allergy is already set off. Like as soon as I put that in, I take that first sip, like that allergy is set off, that phenomenon of craving. Um, and, and, I'm, and that's it. It's, it's, it's over. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to continue until something happens and I get stopped or whatever. Um, by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So like I'd look at these other people and they wouldn't have any harm or consequence, right? Um, after they have succumbed to desire again, um, and I like the word succumbs because it means it can mean to give in or to die. Okay, um, so they're using like these 
big words that really have like some depth and weight and meaning. Um, because that, that's so true because that's, that's what this has become to us. Like we have succumbed to the desire again, like I've given in, right? Um, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. Like how many times have y'all done that? Like how many times can y'all relate to that? Like this is the cycle, right? This is the cycle that's repeated over and over and over again. And I've made so many firm resolutions that, that I'm done. I'm not going to do this again. I don't want to feel this way again. Right. And I really, truly, truly mean it. But at the end of the day, like if I do not have a spiritual solution in place, I'm just going to go right back to it again because that mental obsession is so great. And as soon as I take that drink into my body, the phenomenon of craving is off. Right. Um, this is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of telling me right there, like in this short little sentence, like that I'm going to repeat this over and over again. And unless like I can experience psychic change, right? Um, there's, there's very little hope. Um, I mean, practically alcohol, there's no hope if we don't experience a psychic change, you know? Um, so on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, right? So that's the medical term for spiritual experience. Um, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, who despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. Um, so all of a sudden, like, I've had this psychic change, right? And, and I've worked these steps, right? And that mental obsession has been removed. And so there's, if I'm not putting it into my body, right, then I'm not going to set off this allergy and the phenomena of craving. But if that mental obsess obsession is not removed, then I'm going to continue to put it in my body, right? Um, so I have to have some type of psychic change, right? Because the main problem, like it will talk about later on is that this disease does center in my mind. Um, so the only effort, so there's a, like a, what I love about this book is like, it'll tell me something that can happen. Right. But then it's always followed by a requirement. Right. So if I want to promise, I've got to follow through on the requirement. Um, the only effort necessary being that required to few, to follow a few simple steps or a few simple rules, um, which they get into detail about the 12 steps. Right. Um, and they are, they are pretty simple, but I love, um, the fact that alcoholics can complicate the shit out of anything. So, you know, um, Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Like, how many times have you guys, like, said that in your minds? Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on like this, right? And you truly, truly, desperately mean it. But, like, we don't know a solution yet, right? So, like, at this point in my life, like, I didn't know a solution, right? So, I'm like, God, what do I do? Like, how do, how do I stop? 
And so many alcoholics out there like do not know a solution. And that's why it's so important to like continue to carry this message as the book describes it. Um, so faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Um, I mean, which is pretty cool that doctors are saying that, right? Um, that they've given all they can, but there's nothing else. Like, there's something else that has to come about to produce this, right? Um Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable. So about this time, like it was about between if you're looking at 40 and 50,000 alcoholics that Dr. Silk were treated, like the recovery rate was about 2%, which I mean, that's in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, that's actually a pretty good, big number, um, a lot compared to like today's numbers, right? Um, so we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. Um, and I actually had, um, I was looking at something, um, like on page 27, it talks about, um, in fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangements within you, many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Um, so I do not hold with those that believe alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which had to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all inter other interests, so that the important appointment was not met. Um, I mean, like, how do you how do you describe describe that to like a normal individual? Like that doesn't make any sense to them. Um, but it like looking back now, like it makes perfect sense to me. Um, this is actually one of my favorite favorite lines in the big book that I didn't really come to understand until um, later on. Um, and it said, these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Like, yeah, I believe in the beginning, like I did start drinking to escape, right? But at a certain point, like I crossed over and I was drinking to overcome a craving beyond my mental control. Like, I am freaking powerless to this. I am powerless. And until like I understand that and accept that, like step one is not going to be my truth. Right. It, it to me fully, um, you know? And so like, I, I love that they have this line in the book, uh, because I think it describes it perfectly in this one little sentence. Um, but to me, like it does make so much sense. Uh, because I'm not drinking to escape, right? I'm drinking to overcome a craving beyond my, my mental control. And it, that's just that. That's it right there. Um, there are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight, right? Like, they die. That's the sacrifice, right? Um, 
So here it talks about the types, right, of alcoholics. Um, so the classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many re resolutions, but never a decision. So, like, here's the thing. Like, there's been so many times I've made resolutions, right? But I've never made a decision. And the decision, like, I'm talking about is, like, to, to do this work, right? To, like, have a new experience. Because the resolutions I always made always got me the same old thing. Once I decided to make a decision that was different, like, that's when I got different results. Um, so there's the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There's the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can drink a drink without danger. There's the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Um, then there are the types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people, um, which I believe the alcoholics like were some of the most intelligent, friendly, and able-bodied and um, just amazing people there are like when we're sober, right? And when we're actually not just sober, but like we're working a program of recovery. Um, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving, right? So here's the body part. Um, I, no matter what, like that, and if I take any type of alcohol into my system, like that phenomenon of craving, like that allergy sets in the phenomenon of craving is, it comes about. It's, it's just like, it's my truth. Right. And so I've succumbed to like, know that like, that is my truth today. Um, this phenomenon, as we have suggested by the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only re relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Um, and that would be great. Like, what if this problem only, like, actually centered in the body, right? So if I just never picked up alcohol, like, I'd be fine, right? Entire abstinence. But there's that mental obsession piece that comes in. Um, this immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed to die, like, or be locked up in sanitariums. Like, I mean, that's, that's what the consensus was back in the day. And, you know, because there's so many of us, right, that have worked these steps and, like, practice these principles and carry this message to other alcoholics, like, this fellowship has grown. Um, and we're able to, like, show you that there is a way out. Um, instead of being doomed. Um, what is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. Um, about one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. So this is talking about Hank Parkhurst, who is a friend of Bill Wilson. Um, he had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. So he had wet brain. 
Um, he had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. How true is that, right? I mean, how many of y'all can relate to that feeling like, I'm only living now to drink, like there's nothing left for me? Um, that hopelessness, right? Um, he frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book, so write the steps. Um, one year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but their all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. Um, so this is what a spiritually person, spiritually experienced person looks like, right? Um, I mean, in, in just this paragraph, like, you go from someone who's hopeless, who accepted the plan of outline in this book, like work the steps, right? And had a psychic change, a spiritual experience, right? And see someone and they don't even recognize this person. They're completely different. Um, when I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, he had hidden in a deserted barn, determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition. Brought to me, following his physical rehabilitation, so right, a couple days, a few days of detox, um, he had to talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought treatment was a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. So, um, you know, for us, like, there's willpower like is non-existent when it comes to alcohol right and in in our mental obsession um and everything else like i believe the alcoholics have amazing willpower but we have to have you know power greater than ourselves is responsible for daily sobriety um his alcoholic problem was so complex that and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we called moral psychology and we doubted if even that would have any effect. Um, he was like a combination of like all the types that it described in the book of alcoholics. This is, um, they're talking about fits. Um, and he did actually die with 30 years sober. Um, however, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He's not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is a finest specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he may he come came to scoff, he may remain to pray. William D. Silkworth, M.D. Um, I mean, the, I mean, it's it's amazing that the doctor's opinion is in this book. Um, that a doctor wrote this, right? Who's someone who had thirty-eight years of medical experience, right? Um. And, and it's, it's in our, our textbook, right? Um, and it basically lays out to us um, this, this sickened body, right? Um, and I just, you know, I just think that's so cool. But then it also gives us some hope right at the end of it.